right, so if you have a Bible, turn uh, in your Bible to the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts, all right? So get to the book of Acts if you can. That's where we're going to be studying uh, this morning and really uh, starting a series this morning, the book of Acts verse by verse. Uh, we kicked it off last week with an introduction, uh, but now we really dive in. We dive into chapter one, and I'm pretty pumped up about uh, this morning's uh, message uh, just a couple of reminders, you know, as I said, we introduced it last week, but, but, you know, you don't really want to come to the Bible and just be like, boom, and rip it open and not really know anything about the book you're studying, right? It's good to kind of have a little bit of familiarity. You don't need to be like a seminary graduate or anything, but just a couple of things. The author of the book of Acts is Luke. Luke is the author. He also wrote Luke. All right. We're doing good. Uh, the recipient of the book of Acts is a man named Theophilus, and, and, and he probably was a Roman official. He probably was a patron. He probably was sponsoring Luke as Luke was writing the gospel of Acts and the book, or the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. You know, Theophilus, if you listen to that name, Thea, theology, God, and then Phileo, love, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So God loved is his name. That's his name, Theophilus. And so that's who this book is written to. And he, we know about him, was a new believer. And the book, the purpose of the book was to establish him as a Christian, to help him be, it says in Luke 1, certain about the things that he had been taught. So that's just some basics. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. Okay? It takes up one quarter of the entire New Testament. So this is a significant book in the New Testament. It was written around the 60s A.D., and so this morning, we, we're looking at chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. The title of the message is, The Risen Jesus Continues His Work. The Risen Jesus Continues His Work. We have three points, very simple. The first point is that Jesus is not retired, all right? The second point, that Jesus trained his team, and the third point, that Jesus is working remote, all right? That's so simple, right? But you'll see how these are really a fitting points for the text this morning. So I want to read the passage, Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard me from the beginning or you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? 
This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We really, really thank you this morning that you are a God who has spoken. Yeah, Lord, as we study the Bible today, we, we recognize this is not just a classroom in a book, God. This is us hearing from heaven. Lord, this is your word. You are not just a God who exists, but a God who has revealed himself to us through your word and revealed the way to be saved through Christ. And so, Lord, help us put a holy parenthesis around this next few minutes together as we study these verses of Scripture. And, God, we lift up our community. In Jesus' name, we lift up all these things. Amen. Well, the risen Jesus continues his work. That is the title. And the first point, if you have an insert and are following along, is the risen Jesus is not retired. The risen Jesus is not retired. And this, like, really is a big point. It's not just to be funny or cute. Like, it's actually really a big point. Look at this verse 1. It says, and we read this already, but I want you to see it. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. What do you see there? Let's, let's make sure we see a couple things. First of all, he says, in the first book. Do you see that? So he's not talking about the book that we're reading, right? He's talking about a different book. What is that book? What's the first book? It's Luke, the gospel of Luke. As I said, Acts is a sequel. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. But what might we find in the gospel of Luke? Well, for sure, most importantly, we'll find that Jesus Christ comes to this earth, the Son of God, lives a perfect and sinless life, a life that none of us can claim to have lived. He then moves toward Jerusalem, toward the hill of Calvary, to pay the penalty for sin. Not his own sin, but our sin. To die on the cross for our sins. And then he's buried in the tomb, but he doesn't remain there. He rises from the grave. That's what Luke is about. Luke is the gospel of Luke. It's the good news of Christianity. It's not good advice. It's not a good worldview. It's not just those things. It's good news that God has made a way for us to be saved. Not for us to be religious or just to start going to church or to sort of turn over a new leaf in our life, but to be saved, to be right with God. He's made a way for that. And it's through putting your faith in Christ turning from self and sin and following Jesus. That's what Luke is about. So he's like, in the first book, we talked about all that. He's like, now in Acts, in this book, we're going to continue talking about all of that. Look at what it says. Actually, look at what it says. It says, do you see that in verse 1? The most key word in verse 1 I want you to see is the word began. Do you see it? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach. This is so key. You can circle it. 
you finish the following statements, okay? In The Godfather, part one, the story about Michael Corleone began. The Godfather, part two, continues to tell the story about blank and his crime family. It's not a trick question. All right, let's try another one. In The Born Identity, the story about Jason Bourne began. The Bourne Supremacy, part two, continues to tell the story about... Okay, we'll try one more time. In The Hunger Games, the story about Katniss Everdeen began. In Catching Fire... The story continues to be told about, yeah, I think you get the idea. This word, began, is so crucial. In the Gospel of Luke, the true and real story about Jesus, Luke says in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Acts, it began in the Gospel of Luke. Acts continues to tell the story about who? Jesus. The title is The Risen Jesus Continues His Work. Here's a fact. I'm telling you, this is a big point. We often think about this wrong. We believe that Jesus is sort of semi-retired after the resurrection. And that some other folks, some other guys, Paul, Peter, whoever, they're kind of doing things now. We really do. We wouldn't say it. We wouldn't fail a trivia quiz by putting that answer down right. But we kind of functionally believe that. And this is dangerous, not only because it's not accurate, but also because it makes Jesus much less real, personal, and active in our real lives. Jesus is not the main character who's been written out of the show before the last season. Jesus is not the pastor emeritus in semi-retirement as the real players do the work in Acts. Jesus is not retired at all. Jesus is continuing his ministry in Acts personally, actively, directly, excitingly. That's the point. John Stott says the contrasting parallel Luke draws between his two volumes was not between Christ and the church, but it was between the two stages of the ministry of the same Christ. Do you see? Jesus is not retired. The risen Christ continues his work. This makes Christianity utterly unique among world religions. The best other worldviews, philosophies, and world religions can hope for is that their founder and guru and teacher who did some profound things and perhaps recorded them in writing that his work would live on after his death. But with Jesus, he continues to work because he rose from the dead. So, like, what's happening here in verse 1 is that Luke is telling Theophilus He's telling the early Christians, he's telling you that with this book in your hands, the book of Acts, you can be certain that Jesus is continuing to work from heaven in your world. Through the Holy Spirit, through, yes, through the apostles, yes, through the church, through you even. 
but it's the risen Jesus continuing his work. He's not retired. That's the first point. The second point is that the risen Jesus trained his team. The risen Jesus trained his team. Verse 2, it says, Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Okay, so Jesus, the risen Jesus, trained his team. There are some observations that are about to go down in verses 2 through 8 that I'm pretty confident the majority of us have missed. I think we all know that doctors go to medical school. Do you know that? Do we know that? Are we consensus on that? And yeah, we respect it, right? We're like, okay, yeah, doctors go to medical school. I was wanting to refresh my memory. I looked into it this week and a doctor is required to get a bachelor's degree, then four years of medical school, then do a residency. Then they become an attending physician. And they can be licensed, they can be board certified, and then they're required to continue doing, what's it called? CMEs. Continuing medical education. So a lot of respect. Doctors have to be trained. They have to be prepared. Why do I say that? Why? Well, because Luke was a doctor. Luke was a medical doctor. Colossians 4 calls him the beloved physician. There's a book actually titled The Medical Language of St. Luke by William Hobart. The point is this. Luke thinks like a doctor. He was trained like a physician. And as such, Luke goes to great length to show us here in Acts 1, 2 through 8 how the risen Christ trained the apostles and just how trained they were. Why would he do that? What do you think the effect of that would be on the early Christians? And really, the effect, it should be on us. What do you think? Ultimately, I think it gives us confidence in their work. It gives us confidence in the scriptures which are about them and which were written by them in some cases. The risen Jesus trained his team. Many do not realize that according to Acts 1, listen, Jesus spent 40 days teaching the disciples. I think most of us kind of think Jesus spent three years with the disciples teaching them, right? And they like didn't learn hardly any of the things he taught, right? And then he went to the cross and he died for their sins and they were all afraid and they abandoned him and they cowered and they were like gone. And then he rose from the grave. They saw him once, then he ascended, then Pentecost happened, then something transformed the disciples, right? That's what most of us, I think, know. But if you look carefully at Acts 1, Jesus spent 40 days training them. The risen Christ with nail scars in his hands, training them for their mission. What an amazing 40-day intensive class that must have been. That's exactly what we're told here. And by being told this, God is saying to us that the apostles, the ones who took Christianity everywhere, they were chosen and they were deliberately prepared 
by the risen Jesus in at least four aspects. So I want to show you these now. Four aspects of the training of Jesus. Now, let's, let's make one important note. Obviously, the apostles' training was unique to them. They were unique as the apostles, capital A, apostles. We can be confident that Jesus has called each of us, though, to be a witness for him, too. And we can be confident that Jesus has the same heart to prepare you and me as he did to prepare the apostles, even though they are unique. What's not unique is Jesus wants to prepare his people. So the first one is personal encounter. Personal encounter. Four aspects of the training of Jesus. Verse 3. Do you see this? Look at this. Look at verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Personal encounter. There are examples. We don't have to guess what these were, although we certainly don't have them all. We don't have 40 days worth of personal encounters. But we see in Luke chapter 24, the last chapter of Luke, we see a few things. There is this time when two disciples are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus talks with them. He has dinner with them. He opens the word of God to them. They say our hearts were burning within us and he shows them how all of the Old Testament, starting with Moses, points to him. There's another place in Luke 24 where Jesus comes to the disciples and he appears to them and he offers to them to to investigate his hands and his feet. He, it says, opens their minds to the scriptures. He eats some broiled fish for dinner with them. He shows them, he's like, guys, I'm, I'm risen. Why does this matter? It was really important for the initial apostles who spread Christianity throughout the world that they be, here's the key word, eyewitnesses. Listen, they had a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. What does that mean to you? Listen, it means that the risen Jesus was not theoretical for them. It was not Christianity was not just a set of ideas for the apostles. It wasn't just some core values or some rules to live by. Rather, the risen Jesus and their faith in Christ and their commitment to Christianity were personal to them because they had a personal encounter with the person, the risen Lord. So, that's how Jesus... That's the first aspect of Jesus' training for the apostles. Well, that's for them, right? But what about for us? Well, for us as witnesses today, while we may not be able to have the same kind of eyewitness personal encounter, it's still important that, listen, that we not settle for the impersonal, theoretical, and facts-only experience of Jesus. That person 
And that has been me at times, and so I'm not judging, but that person settling for the impersonal, theoretical, facts-only Christian life, they are not changing the world for Jesus Christ. No one is saying, give me, tell me about the hope that is in you, is not happening. If Jesus is not stirring our affections for him, if there's not a warmth and a personal love for the Lord in your heart, friend, might it be that you do not know the Lord? He wants to know you. He wants you to have a personal encounter with him. When you look at other Christians and you think, I think they have something that I don't, it might be that they have Christ and you don't. A personal encounter. So, that's the first thing. The second aspect is this, and it's from verse 4 and 5. And it's a need for the Holy Spirit. A need for the Holy Spirit. So look at verse 4. Four aspects of this training of Jesus. Need for the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart, from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Okay. Jesus wanted to drill it into the heads of his disciples that they could do nothing apart from the power of God working in and through them. They needed to be, Jesus says to these apostles, this is that time after his resurrection, before his ascension, and before what we'll call Pentecost, which is in Acts chapter 2, which we'll get to, Jesus is drilling it into them, you guys don't have everything you need. You need the power of God. Do not pass go until... (laughs) you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't print flyers. Don't come up with a vision statement. Don't make audacious goals until you have the power of God in your life. That's what he's saying. It's really interesting. This idea to be baptized, it means to be initiated into. This means that they need the Holy Spirit in a way they currently do not have the Spirit. Now, now that is unique to the apostles. They were followers of Christ, but they had not yet experienced the outpouring of the Spirit, which we'll see in Acts chapter 2. It's a little different for us because every believer at the point of faith in Christ is given all of the Holy Spirit. The question is, are we surrendered entirely to the Lord? Does he have all of us? So, for us... As witnesses today, as we think about this need for the Holy Spirit, one thing we must know as would-be witnesses for Jesus Christ is that we also cannot do anything in our own strength apart from God. Recall John 15 where Jesus told these same disciples, abide in me, apart from me you can do nothing. It's actually encouraging to realize that Jesus said that to the apostles because it is just as true of them as it is of us. 
They do not have inherent natural strength and super abilities that enabled them to be these world-changing apostles. No, apart from the Spirit, they, like you and me, could do nothing of value. So thanks be to God that he provides for every believer all of his Holy Spirit. We must confess sin. We must trust in Christ. We must believe the word of God. And then we must be filled, yielded to, led by, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So four aspects of this training. Remember, Jesus trained his team. First, Jesus is not retired. Second, he trained his team. Four aspects of this training. Personal encounter, need for the Spirit, and now three, biblical teaching. Biblical teaching. Look at verse 6. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, actually, I think before he said this to them, he just went, are you kidding me? I'm pretty sure he did. And then he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus is so patient. He's so caring. He's still just teaching his disciples. John Calvin said, there are as many errors in this question as words. <laughs> Biblical teaching. It involves replacing man's thoughts with God's thoughts. That's what the disciples just needed in this moment. They thought the kingdom was about Zion. They thought the kingdom was about the land where their feet were standing, this place, Israel, and the throne in Jerusalem. They thought geopolitical Israel. And Jesus is saying it's not less than that, guys. It's way more than that. But he says, you don't need to be concerned with that right now. You can't even know anyways. Biblical teaching. It's really amazing. In Luke 24, we know over this 40 days, Jesus did not say, you guys just, see, I think we think this. Jesus did not say, you guys go sit in the upper room, Indian style, and just be like, um, and just wait for the Spirit. He didn't say that. For 40 days, he was giving them biblical teaching. It actually said in verse 2 that he was doing it through the Spirit, that he was teaching them for 40 days. So they needed teaching and the Spirit, word and Spirit, both important. So like in Luke 24, again, it says he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. So maybe we've never seen this before. Maybe we've never really seen in Acts 1 how there is this special training from the risen Christ with his apostles. It's important that we see it because we see the heart of Christ to prepare you as a believer to be a witness. We've got to be prepared. It's not totally unique to them. Being prepared gives you confidence in your sharing of Christ with others. So let's be encouraged that we seek biblical teaching, that we learn that we have a growth mindset, that we get in a Bible study, that we apply and obey God's word. Fourth, so the risen Jesus trained his team, personal encounter, two, need for the Holy Spirit, three, 
biblical teaching. And now fourth, worldwide mission. See verse eight, Jesus says, and this is interesting because we hear verse eight a lot. It's kind of a verse that people know, but we don't always realize that it's in response to the really bad question that the disciples ask. And actually, if you do a study of the Bible, a lot of the most amazing truths in the Bible are in response to a really dumb question that was just asked. It's actually really a real thing. So check it out. But this one here in verse eight, he says, well, now that we've brushed that wrong thought aside, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In the Gospel of Luke, everything is sort of moving toward Jerusalem, where Jesus will die on the cross. And in the book of Acts, the second book, volume two, everything is sort of moving away from Jerusalem to to the ends of the earth, the remotest places. That's this big, audacious vision that Jesus plants in the heart of of his apostles because it's in his heart. He died for the world. His vision is for a church that is filled with Jews and Gentiles, filled with all nations, filled with all people. And so he gives them this worldwide mission. It's interesting. He says, to the ends of the earth. We were one time on a trip overseas. We were in China, and we were sitting at in the remotest village you could probably ever go to. We're sitting at this outside table, just having a meal and talking. And the people who were hosting us, they they had kind of committed their lives to be there, to be sharing the gospel. And he said to us, you know, guys, we are at the ends of the earth right now. And I thought, I guess I had just never really thought about what that meant. I, to be honest, I kind of thought it was like, like the, I maybe thought the earth was flat. I don't know. I thought it was like the edge, like the end of the earth was like the edge where the waterfall goes. I don't know. I don't know what I thought. But he was like, yeah, if you think about it, like the earth is, it's people. It's relational networks of people. And the very end of that web is, is, is the part that no one would ever go to them unless they were told. And that you would never interact with them unless you went to them. And we're sitting right there. We're sitting here at the ends of the earth. This is a remote, no-name village that no one would ever go to. No one would ever get transferred there for their job. No one would ever just go there because they would want to be there. That's where we are. And it really hit me like, man, this is what God wants us to do to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. It's amazing. It's the heart of Christ. Jesus is not retired. The risen Jesus trained his team. Now last, the risen Jesus is working remote from heaven. The risen Jesus is working remote from heaven. It's really, it's really an appropriate point. Look at the verses, verse 9 through 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, 
and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So what we have in verse 9 through 11 is what Christians have called the ascension. It's when Christ ascended. It's actually recorded only in Luke's gospel, and in, it's recorded again in Acts chapter 1. And so he, he puts it there twice. He repeats it in Acts 1. It's very important. It's interesting. You know, oftentimes you might wonder, where is Jesus right now? Like, where, what, like if you're a literal person, like, where is Jesus? Because someone told me he lives in my heart, and I'm trying to picture like a little G.I. Joe character living in my heart. It's just kind of weird. Like, where is Jesus? And the ascension answers that question. Where is Jesus? Where did he go? It's interesting, actually, if you think about it, this is a very honest passage. It says that Jesus went, do you see it there? Out of their sight. Out of the apostles' sight. So there are two men there in white robes. Whenever a major miracle happens in Scripture and God wants to make extra sure that we don't misinterpret it and get it completely wrong, he usually drops an angel right there to interpret the situation for us, and this is no exception. There are two men in white robes. It's interesting, in Luke chapter 24, there are two angels that show up there too. Do you know what they do? When the women come to the empty tomb, they're looking around, they're thinking, where's Jesus? We were going to like take care of the dead body and... The angels say to them, why are you here looking for the living among the dead? He told you he would rise. The angels are there to interpret this major miracle. And so similarly, we see the same, I would say it's a real good chance these are the same two angels. They have the special role of interpreting, assuring, and we'll call it focus redirecting, okay? So these two men... They come up to the apostles. What do they say? They say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I just picture the disciples standing there. It's like when a kid loses their balloon. They're like, no. And they're like, just looking. Is it going to come back? Like, what's going on? And these angels are like, for real, guys? Are are we going to keep doing this? Like, he told you what was going to happen. And, and these angels, they interpret the situation. And so the answer to the question, where is Jesus? These angels tell us he's in heaven. And he's there bodily. The God man, the fully human, fully God, Jesus Christ. He is in heaven. He ascended to heaven. That's where he is. These angels tell us that. And they assure these disciples, you will get him back. He will return. Just as he was, he will return. This Jesus that you know, fully God, fully man, the man Jesus Christ, he will return. 
And then they redirect him. Why do you stand looking? The text actually says gazing into heaven. What's implied by that redirection? What do you think? It's real clear, isn't it? And don't you think that Luke was writing that because it really happened, but he also was writing that so that the early Christians would feel it too, like they probably needed that nudge, that redirection. Stop talking about when the kingdom of Israel is going to be sort of established. Stop gazing into heaven. Stop wandering around unfocused. Let's do what Jesus said. Let's now obey Christ. He'll return. It's not for us to know when. He'll return. He's working remote. He's continuing his work, the risen Lord. He'll return just as the apostles saw him go. So let's follow Christ. Let's trust in Christ. Let's obey Christ. Let's be those witnesses. Witnessing about our personal encounter with him, about the risen Lord to the ends of the earth, but starting where we are first. Let's close in prayer.